back from Toronto, we were there for a funeral. And, you know, we just spent some time uh, looking through Lamentations, right? Maybe that's, um, you know, the Lord's grace even to us to, to speak to us about these difficult messages of suffering. And even last week, as Pastor Dustin was preaching, we were reminded of three things that people ought to think about uh, when, when they think of a follower of Jesus. And that is how we pray, how we fast, and how we give. Wouldn't it be great if those are three marks in which we would be defined as followers of Jesus? But today, we're going to be continuing in Mark. We're going to be continuing in Mark chapter 9. And so I apologize, this message might be short, but at the same time too, you probably know by now never to trust the preacher when they say that the sermon is going to be short. <laughs> Especially when they're at their last point. They're like, almost done, we're just wrapping up, and there's basically a whole other sermon left. But so let me just remind you about Mark, it, was, it almost feels like ages ago, I believe it was like almost a year ago, um, around this time when we started it. And right now we're in Mark 9. And let me remind you about the book of Mark. It's, it, it, Mark is bringing us through all these different episodes in this discovery of trying to figure out who Jesus is. And what's really interesting, even at this point in Mark chapter 9, so few people even know about who he actually is. And what's even more alarming, and I, as I was talking to Pastor Dustin this week too, he pointed this out to me, and my mind was like, whoa. He said, do you notice who the first people are in the book of Mark to finally recognize who Jesus is? This one's going to hit us hard. I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to hit our pride and it should humble us. But it's demons. Demons are the first ones to recognize who Jesus is before his own disciples. And then what makes it even funny, you keep going in, in Mark 10, it's a blind man. A blind man who can't even see Jesus but calls out to him and knows he's there. Wow. But instead, the religious elite, the religious leaders, even his own disciples, still can't grasp who this Jesus is. You see, they had all these different expectations about who he was supposed to be and who he was supposed to help and what he was supposed to do for his time on earth. And even then, a lot of their own knowledge, a lot of their supposed knowledge of of scriptures and tradition was no help to them at all because they still denied who Jesus was. And so, you know, we, we can even think of this, this trilemma. I, I think you've probably, you might have heard this before, is how, how do you see Jesus today? Like you sitting here or maybe you watching, who is Jesus? It's been said, is he, is he Lord? Is he the Lord of your life? Like do you come to Jesus Trusting him, submitting everything that you have to him, and obediently walking with him? Is he, you know, a liar? <laughs> Do you just, like, go through the Gospels and maybe cross out parts? Or maybe, you know, you want to keep a distance from Jesus because you just think he's not telling the truth. Or, right, is, is, he, is he even a, a lunatic, right? <laughs> Like, do, do you just think that Jesus can't help you today? That when you're living your life, that there's nothing that he tells you that you think that you don't already know? 
And so Mark, once again, is this journey where there's, Jesus has different encounters with many different people. And Jesus is investing in people. And, and, this, and Mark 9 really becomes a turning point in the Gospel of Mark. I mean, we know that it, you know, it starts you know, in, the, in the beginning in Mark 1. Like this is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. But Mark 9 truly is a turning point. His disciples have been growing with him up to this point. If you look back just into Mark chapter 8, Peter has this confession about the Messiah, right? But he's not exactly there yet because in the next passage, right, in the next verses, Jesus rebukes him. So Peter is on this journey of understanding who Jesus is, but he doesn't see Jesus for who he actually is. He still has these thoughts in his head or these um, ideas of what he thinks this Jesus is supposed to be and what he's supposed to do. But they're growing, and they're going there. So, without further ado, we'll hop into Mark 9, verses 2 to 13. So I'm going to read first, and then we're going to unpack it. If you're like a, an Old Testament uh, scholar or, or, or geek, you'd probably really enjoy preaching this message. But at the same time, as I was wrestling through it this week, there were other things that were coming to me. There was, I was having trouble making an outline for the sermon because it's so rich in even Old Testament imagery. It's so profound. So I hope that even as we go through it, that there's things uh, that will be helpful to you and that will help you see Jesus more clearly through his word. So, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John. So Peter, James, and John. Jesus had, you know, the 70, 72 disciples. He had the 12, and then he had the three, Peter, James, and John. And led them up a high mountain by themselves to be alone. He was transfigured in front of them, and his clothes became dazzling, extremely white, as no launderer on earth could whiten them. Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us set up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, because he did not know what to say since they were terrified. That's funny, by the way, just to kind of interject there. Um, it's funny how honest scripture is sometimes. And even that how, as we walk through the gospels, like how much we even get to be a part almost of the disciples' lives and just even the reactions to things. A cloud appeared overshadowing them and a voice came from the cloud. This is my beloved son, listen to him. This is the son, my son whom I love, listen to him. Suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. And they were coming down the, as they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept this word to themselves, questioning what rising from the dead meant. Then they asked him, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come? In verse 12, Elijah does come first and restore all things, he replied. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be treated with contempt. But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did whatever they pleased to him, just as it is written about him. Wow. Okay. There's a lot there. There's a lot there. And, and, and there's, there's many different ways that we can go about this. I, I, throughout the sermon, I hope that I am going to go through some and, and, and almost provide a hyperlink to some of the Old Testament references through it. 
But I just want to focus here even first on Jesus, that his clothes became a dazzling white. And there's no amount of bleach, there's no amount of cleaning that you can do to have it appear, like his garments to even appear this type of pure light and white. Like this is amazing. I just want to give you a little bit of a reminder too of the significance of being on top of the mountain, right? When, when Jesus, you know, we see other times in, in, in scripture where, where Jesus is, is teaching, you know, for the Sermon of the Mount is that he's, he's taking his place there and then he's coming and he's sitting down on the mountain and then he's teaching authoritatively to people. That, that there's very significant encounters that happen on top of a mountain. Here, there's, there's references to two Old Testament giants. There's Moses, and when you see Moses, you think of the law, the law of God, where we know Moses was on, on, on top of the mountain. And then also we have Elijah. So there's a lot of significant things going on here. And that the mountain... It represents Jesus coming and speaking from a place of authority and power. So, like, you know that, <laughs> I wonder what Peter, James, and John thought as Jesus, like, let's go to the top of the mountain. They're like, what's going to happen up here? <laughs> right? They would, they would have known that something significant was about to happen on this high, high mountaintop. And so, but the first thing that I actually want to unpack here, and this is more on a personal level. There's other references. Peter, Peter is scared. He doesn't know what he's saying. I really like Peter's honesty. And he says, let us set up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But then it says he didn't know what he was saying. He was terrified. In a way, I don't know if this is intentional. Maybe it was raining. I don't know. Maybe not. But there's almost this direct even reference to this tent, this tent of meeting. If you look at Exodus 33, and, and, you, and, you, and you hear about the tent, the, the tent that was outside of the camp, and that when Moses was, was face-to-face with God, that God considered and spoke to him as a friend, and that at this tent, when Moses was there, that there was this cloud that would come and fill the tent. And, and that cloud, even as the cloud appeared in, in verse 7, overshadowing them, and a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son, listen to him. It's the same imagery that the cloud comes and it fills the tent. And God is there. A cloud signifies the presence of God. Like we remember also throughout the Old Testament of them being guided by this cloud by day and by night, fire. So this is, this is quite something to, to behold. So, so Peter might not know what he's saying, but at the same time, he's almost, in a way, even blurting out that this is God among us. The presence of God is filled in this area. And, 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 and Peter is doing the best that he can to even hyperlink back to what he knows is, is said in scripture in the Old Testament. And that it's this, this cloud that it comes and it dwells in 
to the tent. So, so, so Peter is terrified, but he knows he's witnessing something. He's witnessing, witnessing something amazing, holy, great, and he can't exactly put his finger on it either. But I want to say as a side note, you know, even like, like this past week, like I said, there was, even amongst close, close family and loved ones, there's been m- many deaths. I don't know how else to put it, but there's a lot of people in my life or close, even close proximity, close friends, um, loved ones, uh, who've passed away. And, and, and throughout that, even in through the time when, when I'm sitting through the funeral and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm contemplating and thinking about this, some family discussion kind of gears to, you know, do you, think, do you think God remembers us? Do you think he knows who we are, right? Like, what happens after we die? Are we, are we just these, like, formless, I don't know, light balls or blobs. <laughs> we lose our personality. We lose our name. We, le- we lose who we are. Is that what it's like? Is there hope that we get to see these people again? These loved ones who've passed away? Well, I have some good news for you. And it's that throughout scripture we see the story of God being a God of relationship. So I just want to point to you the significance and even in, in, in wonder here that it's Moses and Elijah. Like, it's not two unnamed people. It's Moses and Elijah. And surely you can tell them out. Like, I know in, in some other religions, right, you almost like you go to be with God and you kind of almost cease to exist. And you just, you're absorbed into the universe. But God is a God of relationship, and he made us to be with him. He made us to be like him and enjoy life and eternity together with him. So that even provided comfort to me this week in knowing that Moses and Elijah are there. We know that Elijah was swept up to heaven in a chariot of fire, so (laughs) maybe he didn't die, right? But Moses, right? Like, he's there. You can tell who they are. You know who they are. And that's amazing. Like, we know in Psalm 139 that, that we were knit together in our mother's womb. That we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And that even in Luke 12, I'm going to verse 7, that Jesus says even the, the hairs on our head are numbered. Like, it, do, you, do you see who this God is? where he's made you for, for relationship with him. And the good news is that if you accept Jesus for who he said he is, then you get to enjoy and walk in that relationship with him for eternity. That's amazing. That's amazing. And that's the hope that we have in death. That's the hope that we have. And even if you go to Exodus 33, I know we kind of hyperlinked a a bit back. It said that when Moses was in the tent with God, that they spoke face to face like a friend. Isn't that wonderful? Like, so if you're sitting here today and you're saying that I don't know who this God is that you're speaking about. I don't know about Jesus. I don't have this kind of relationship with him. The only encounters that I ever have is that I... (laughs) Maybe there's, there's Christians in my life, and I see them, 
always getting mad at me the moment I, I, I mention a word, like almost like a trigger word. And that they forget to exhibit that love and even remind them that they were made for a relationship with their creator. I just want to invite you that this God, that Jesus, he cares for you and he loves you deeply. That even the number, that the hairs on your head are counted. That that's how deeply and intimately he knows you. It's amazing. Now we're going to go on to our second point here. And, and just, I just want to kind of continue to, to, to big up Jesus here and to say for who, who he is. So we know that Moses represents the law, and Elijah is the prophets. And, and they're, they're almost like, they're kind of like the greatest at, 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 who, at who they are. Like, like Elijah is the prophets of prophets, right? And we know the story of Moses, and that he represents, you know, re- receiving the law of God. It's, it's like, here are these these, these men are, right? But Jesus is greater than them. Guess what happens? The cloud appears and it overshadows them. And the voice from heaven says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. If, if, you're, if you're wondering how you can know what God says, if you're wondering how do you know who, how do you get to know this God? You need to look to Jesus. It says here, this is my son. Listen to him. The greatest prophet of all time is there. Moses is there. But the emphasis is on Jesus. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than Elijah. Jesus fulfills the law. Jesus speaks the very words of God. We know in, in Hebrews, so I'm going to turn to Hebrews. I'm going to read a little bit more here. Let's, let's hope I have the right bookmark, right? Okay, I got the right bookmark. Hebrews 1, verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Wow. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. I also want to turn to to Colossians. One, chapter one, verse 15. I'm just going to read a little bit and I'm going to go to verse 19 as well. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him, to reconcile everything to himself. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Wow. That's who Jesus is. And in this passage, we're seeing, almost as we're looking through Mark, that this is this turning point in the book of Mark, where we get to see who we start to see and understand more about who Jesus is. There's, there's another thing that I want to turn to. We just have a couple more points, like I said. 
Maybe I was telling the truth when I said this sermon won't be too long today. (laughs) Maybe not, we'll find out. Is that there's another thing, because I can't help but think about what we were even talking about as a church leading up to this week, right? In the past weeks, like I said, there's been, we've been through periods of a lot of trials and suffering as well. And that even here in, in verse 12, as we go down, right, the Son of Man must suffer many things. And that I tell you, Elijah has come, and they did whatever they pleased to him, just as it is written about him. So once again here, just to, just to also kind of give you a little bit of a, of a hyperlink or a throwback, is that the, the, the disciples are wondering, well, Peter is also wondering, like, but isn't Elijah supposed to come? Right? And Jesus says that he did come, and they did to him whatever they please. So we know that this is, this is John the Baptist. We know that in the, in the beginning of Mark, I don't have Mark 1 here, but I can turn to it really fast. About preparing the way, right, for the Lord. That begins in Mark 1, so I'm just going to turn to it here quickly. Bear with me as... I flip through the pages. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way. A voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Prepare prepare the way for the Lord. Make his paths straight. So, John John the Baptist is, 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 is the coming of Elijah. It's that same spirit and in power as well. And I just, I just want to highlight once again now to the, to the point of, of suffering, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be con- and treated with contempt. Is that we do live in this world, in this broken world, and life is very hard. And sometimes we're going through these periods. And suffering is... Is you can't avoid suffering. It's almost like you just wait long enough and then suffering is going to be there. And even when you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus never did any wrong, and in, but at the same time, he still suffered. But through this passage, and even in the story of Mark, as we're trying to discover and figure out who Jesus is, Jesus, in this transfiguration, demonstrates and shows who he is. That he is the God-man. That he's transfigured. And another word that we can say for transfigured is this metamorphosis. That his humanity is peeled back to reveal his full divinity. So it isn't that Jesus is like 50% God, 50% man. No. Instead, scripture teaches that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And that you can see, even through his life, all the suffering that is there. But I want to say, going to that, that there's hope. There's hope. Jesus, in in Mark 9, is transfigured so that we can be transformed. Jesus reveals who he is, and he demonstrates all of his authority, all that's been said about him, 
he shows, he shows who he truly is in life, and Jesus is transfigured so that we can be transformed. I just want to read from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 18. This is, this is Peter afterwards having, you know, you get to the end of the Gospels, and, and, and as I was saying, even in Mark 8, where Peter has this, like, this, this confession, but only to be rebuked in the next verses later. But listen to how Peter speaks now. For we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice when it came from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. That's amazing. Peter gets to look back in his life and remember that moment of God telling him to come up to the mountain with him so that he can witness this and that he can see Jesus fully for who he is, that his glory, his splendor is revealed, and that, that, that the fullness of God is in him. So Peter gets to think back and say, I know who Jesus is now. I know what he came to do, and I know who he is forever and ever. So, I guess I leave you with a couple of questions, because we do want to go to some application as well. Is, who is Jesus to you, right? How do you see Jesus? Is Jesus someone that you kind of put away in a corner, that he's someone who can give you good advice, optional advice sometimes? Or is Jesus the King of Kings, Lord of Lords? Is Jesus God in the flesh, the creator of all things? And does he have authority in your life to speak to speak into your life. Like, what are you going to do with the words of Jesus? Are you going to allow him to define who you are? Remember, we were even looking at, at, at Psalm 139, that we're knit together in our mother's womb. That he even knows the number of, 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 of hairs on our head. Are you going to allow this Jesus to define everything in life for you? That means that he is the voice of authority in your life. That, that you can look through scripture and you can see where Jesus speaks. And you can also see that in scripture it's a story leading up to this moment where Jesus is revealing himself. And then that means that we live differently. That means when it comes to who we are, Right, we were talking a little bit again about what Pastor Dustin was preaching on last week. That there's even there's 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 three things that come to mind as followers of Jesus: praying, fasting, giving. 
that that means that Jesus is Lord of your finances. That, that you have this different kingdom ethic where it's about generosity. And that you get to share with people when they ask you, why are you so generous? And you say, well, my father in heaven is so generous. That he gave me everything. That he didn't hold back. That he gave me his beloved son to take my place for my sins. Or that even when it comes to sexuality, right? That you're not trying to change the words of Jesus. That you're not taking his words and trying to write your own version of what it means to follow Jesus, but instead that we submit to Jesus and his authority and his word and that we say, Jesus, who do you say that I am even? How have you made me to live and to be? That when it comes to even our careers, that it isn't just about progressing and advancing for our own purposes in our own life, but instead that there is a reason why that we're there, that we're this family of servants on mission for Jesus, and that we're there to live like Jesus amongst others, and so that we can invite them to his family. Jesus being who he is, how do you see Jesus and how does that change your life today? And once again, I want to say that if, if you've never experienced Jesus before, if Jesus is someone that you don't know and you want to get to know him, I want to just remind you that he loves you. That he's a God of relationship. And even as we're going through this passage, what does God the Father say about Jesus? This is my son who I love. And that because of who Jesus is, this isn't on me, I, I promise you because of who Jesus is, that there is no better place to place your faith. That there is no better place to, to place your trust. And that if you follow Jesus and you give him the authority that is rightfully his, it's his anyways, that your life would start to reflect even the glory of Jesus. And that there are things in your life that God is just going to reconstruct. He's going to make you new. He's going to make you a new person. And that person is going to be better than any other version of yourself. That if you're lonely, if you don't know who to turn to, turn to the one who knew you while you were in your mother's womb, and who knows you by name, and who even knows the number of hairs on your head. So I am going to pray. I don't have a timer in front of me this week, but I am going to pray, and I'm going to invite the worship team up as well uh, to continue to lead us into worship, and we're really excited that we're, they're here, and we're thankful that they're here. So I'm just going to pray. Jesus, we know that it's your word that brings life. It's, it, it isn't the words of, of, of anyone else. That God, that, that all authority belongs to you. And that you're a noble God. And that throughout scripture we see the story of you 
reconciling us to yourself through Jesus, your son. Jesus, we just pray that you would reveal yourself to everyone here, that it doesn't matter how long that they've been walking with you, that you would continue to transform them into your likeness, that, that they would continue to reflect the glory that is yours. And if whoever is listening has never given their life to you, Jesus, draw them into your kingdom. Give them a seat at the table. Let them see you for who you are and let them be in touch and in relationship with the one who knows them more than anyone else ever could. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. In your holy name we pray, amen.